We're in week number two of our series that we're looking at this incredible prophetic statement that the prophet Isaiah made 800 years before the coming of Jesus, born of a virgin, that virgin birth, where God prophetically gave him insight into the character of what the Savior, the Messiah, was actually going to be like. And we began to kind of unpack it last week and I, and I want to pick up with that in just, just a minute. Uh, last week, we talked about wonderful counselor, someone to talk to. We all, we all need that, and, and that's one of the things. That's who Jesus is. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the Prince of Peace. And so I've entitled that message, The Fresh Prince. So I want to invite you back to, to hear about the Fresh Prince uh, next week. Uh, but, but today, I want to talk about uh, the mighty God. The mighty God, he, that he's large and in charge. And uh, as I think about Christmas, there's so many things about Christmas that I love, uh, especially like Christmas movies. Like, what's your favorite Christmas? Ben, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Scrooge? Okay, that's fine. Yeah. How about everyone just right now, just just shout out, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Christmas. Okay. Whoever said Die Hard, that's just dumb. I'm just, I'm sorry. Like, that is not, that's not a Christmas movie, okay? So just stop that. Uh, my favorite, my favorite Christmas movie, of course, like, duh, The Preacher's Wife, right? Like, how could it not be? Because I'm like a preacher, and that's my wife right there. And, uh, and, it, and it is for a number of, of different reasons. Uh, one, Whitney Houston kind of sang the the soundtrack of my teen years and 20 years, uh, in my 20s, and uh, I believe in you and me, I believe that we will be in love eternally, for as far as I can see. Yeah, this is the third time I've done it. She really swooned the first time there. Uh, thank you. Just, just because I don't sing doesn't mean I can't. That's all I'm saying right there. Uh, but, but some of the themes in that, that movie just really struck me because uh, I remember going to see that movie, 1996, when it came out with some very new friends of ours. We just met, just known each other a little bit of time, and that was Aaron and Karen Johnson. And uh, so we said, let's go see The Preacher's Wife. Our second daughter had just been born. I think it was the first time we actually went out after Brooke was born, baby Brookie, and, uh, who was just here at last service and, and drove back to Virginia now. Um, but... Uh, 1996 was a really hard year for me, uh, and, and that movie just like hit me because I remember, you know, I'm, I'm in my 20s and, you know, grown men don't cry, and so I, I wouldn't let myself, but I had this big old like lump in my throat, and I'm just holding back tears because it's about a pastor who really like loses his faith. You know, he's really, really struggling, and, and, and I wasn't struggling with my faith. I was struggling with the church at the time, this church. Because God had given me a picture, kind of like a vision of, of, of what I felt like he, he wanted our church to become, and we were far from that, and I was getting a lot of pushback, and, and people were just being nasty about it. And, and I'm just so thankful. It just reminds me of Almighty God, because like, he came through. And today, that's, that's who Valley is today, quite literally, like this picture that, that God put in my heart. And... Uh, and I just remember just wrestling with, with that. And there's one part in, in the movie where, where, uh, where he actually says, I just feel like I'm losing one after another after another. And, and I like, it just, boom, it just like hit me in the chest. 
And then he, he reaches out and he calls out to God in, in the movie, the preacher does. And he's like, God, if you're up there, I sure could use some help. And then the angel Dudley drops in the front yard, uh, Denzel Washington. I mean, you got to love Denzel, right? And, uh, and then also one of the big themes in that movie is about temptation and resisting temptation. And, and you actually see that in the movie, which, which normally you don't see movies where there's any resistant temptation. It's just like give into it. And so it's, it's, it really is my favorite movie. And it strikes me, even though it's a fictitious movie, and it's a remake, by the way, of an old movie called The Bishop's Wife with Gregory Peck made in the 1950s. Uh, but this is The Preacher's Wife. Uh, it's fictitious, but, but it just reminds me how big God is, that God is so powerful, and yet he's personally involved with the details of our life. And that's what I want to talk about today. As we look at these names that, that are prophetically looking into the time of the birth of Christ. And, and, and one of those names is that he'll be called Mighty God. Mighty God. That Jesus is the Mighty God. So let's pick it up. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Again, 800, about 800 years before the coming of Jesus. And Isaiah the prophet says, For, unto, for to us a child is born, to us... A son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's what we talked about last week. Mighty God. That's what I want to look at today. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And as we noted last week where it says, for, un uh, for to us a child is born, that's a man. Jesus was born by Mary, fully human. But then Isaiah, God gives him that insight, and he says, for unto us a son is given, a son, he was the son of God. So he was fully man, fully human, and fully divine simultaneously. And even like almost eight centuries before he's born, God gives Isaiah this, this insight and he shares this. And then begins to talk about different names that he would be called by. And that's what we're doing leading up to Christmas. And can you believe it's just two weeks away? Two weeks from today. You know, two weeks from today is about the time I take a nap because I've been up since five because I'm the first one running up and down the hallway. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Two weeks from today is Christmas. And, and so last week we talked about his name is wonderful, and that takes care of the dullness of life. When, when he's wondering, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and your life is dull, you're probably following too far at a distance. So, so, so his name is wonderful. It takes care of the dullness of life. His name is counselor. This takes care of the decisions of life. We don't have to make them on our own. He's there for us. He's a wise counselor, someone to talk to, as we looked at last week. His name is mighty God. This takes care of the demands of life, all, all the different demands, all the different things that we have to deal with, all, all the different things that you and I are, have to face, that, that he's the mighty God, and he wants to help. And I think what we're going to, I hope what we're going to see today is this. We need to invite him in because he really does want to help. He's the mighty God. And he wants to show up in a mighty way in your life and in my life. But he's not going to push his way in. He has to be invited in to our lives. This word mighty, where it says mighty God, that word mighty in Hebrew, the Old Testament is originally written in Hebrew, uh, what it literally means is victorious in battle. 
That's what mighty means. In other words, he's never lost. He never will lose. He's never lost a battle. And he never will. He's the mighty God. He's always victorious in battle. That's who Jesus was. And, and when you think about it, really everything that Jesus did, all the miracles that he did, all, all the incredible signs and wonders that he did, they were all mighty. So much so that, that after his death and his resurrection, he appears to some of his disciples, and then he starts popping up and appearing to people. And, and, and the Bible records that there are actually two of his followers, uh, and they're traveling to a town called uh, Emmaus, and on the road to Emmaus, that Jesus just appears, and they don't recognize him. So I guess, you know, he just kind of comes walking up, and, and he says, why do you look so downcast? You look so, like, brokenhearted, and they're like, haven't you heard what happened in Jerusalem? And he's like, why don't you tell me what happened? And, and they begin to tell him, like, we thought this was the Savior. We thought this was the Messiah. We thought this was the, the anointed one, and, and yet they crucified. And he's dead. And, and they started telling him, and the Bible says, they told him all the mighty works that Christ had done. And so right there, they actually, kind of like 800 years later, they're like, we thought he was the mighty God. But obviously he wasn't. Some of you know the rest of the story. He goes with them, and, and they go to, they, they're like, it's too far to travel. Come on, stay with us. And, and he goes, and he sits down, and he goes to break bread. And when he breaks bread, their eyes are open. They're like, oh, he's alive. It's Jesus when he goes to break bread, just like, you know, like communion kind of thing. Really cool. But he's the mighty God. And, and notice that I said he is, not he was. Because he is still mighty today, and he wants to be mighty in your life. And he wants to be mighty in my life. And so I want to share with you uh, five ways that, that Jesus is the mighty God. Five ways he wants to help you. And, and he wants to help me today. Because if we invite him in, he, he, he will show up in a mighty, mighty way. And so I want to begin by, by looking at a passage in Colossians, the uh, first chapter, and, and just Look at, look at what the Apostle Paul writes. He's writing to Christians like you and I at the Church of Colossae, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's words himself, and he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And this is what he's praying. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding by the Spirit uh, that the Spirit gives. Notice that's a capital S. That's the Holy Spirit so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. There's that. He wants to give you His mighty power so that you may have great endurance and patience. And, and so right there, it's real clear. God wants to help you. God wants to help me. By giving us his mighty power, what? So we'll bear a lot of fruit in our life for his sake. That's, that's what he's ultimately after for you, and that's what he's ultimately after for me. That's, that's his best. So let me share with you five ways that, that, that Jesus is a mighty God. The first one is this, that he's able to save us. That, that, that's mighty. No one else could do that. He is mighty to save. 
Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, now, let me stop right there and just let me explain this a little bit because a lot of Christians get tripped up over this, this idea. They, they don't realize that he is able to save completely. And it's kind of tragic to misunderstand. There are segments of the Christian church that, that would say that that's not true. That, that you have to do works in order to be saved. That you, that you have to be a good person. You have to do all kinds of stuff in order to, to be saved, to be forgiven of your sins. There's only one problem with that. The entire Bible says the opposite of that. It says that he is able to save completely. That means that it's not on you. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing you can do to work towards, to do enough good stuff in order for God to say, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, all right, I'll save you because you're, you're wonderful. Doesn't have, it's all completely dependent upon Jesus' sinless life, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead. Why did he do all that? Because it's the only way we could be forgiven. There's no other way. And he saved completely. It's pretty interesting when, when Jesus was on the cross, he made a number of statements. It's hard for him to breathe, obviously, uh, suffering that way. But, but one of the last things that he ever said was, it is finished. It is finished. If, if there was something that you could do to earn salvation, he would have said to be continued. It's not yet finished. But he said, it is finished. Now, here's the thing. I've shared this before, but I think it's important that we really got get this in. It is finished is not a, like a theological or a religious phrase in Greek when he said that, the original language in the New Testament. It's actually an accounting phrase it, that, that, that people, accountants, financiers would use that word, that phrase, it is finished. And what it literally means is paid in full. It, it means here's the bill. For the work done, you've got to pay it. And Jesus says, paid in full. I have paid in full through my life, my death. It's going to be my resurrection for all the sins of the world, everyone who would trust in me. He is able to save completely, not partially, not on a payment plan, completely. That's how mighty and powerful he is. So, so my salvation, your salvation has nothing to do with you. The only thing we do is it's like he's the gift at Christmas. We just open up the gift. You can choose not to open up the gift. What does that mean? You're not saved. If you choose not to, to apply what Jesus did, that means you don't get the benefits of the gift. No one gets the benefits of the gift unless they open it up, unless they receive it. But when we receive Jesus as our Savior, it's complete. And he's mighty because he saves us completely, those who come to God through him. Think about it. In creation, God showed us his hand, but in salvation, God showed us his heart. You ever wonder how much you're worth to God? How valuable you are to God? Just look at the cross of Jesus. That's how valuable you are. Just like the Bible says, for God so loved the world. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. That he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That believing, just receiving, save completely. 
Here's the second reason why he's large and in charge is he's able to support us totally. He's able to support you. He's able to support me totally. One of the shortest books in all the Bible is the book of Jude. Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. Jude was actually one of the sons of Joseph and Mary. They had actual other children after uh, Jesus. And, and Jude puts it this way in Jude 24th verse uh, of the chapter. It says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, talking about Jesus, he's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. He is able to support you. He's able to support me. He's able to carry the weight of the cares that you're carrying today. What is the weight that you're carrying today? What was the burden? He wants to support you. He, he wants to come alongside. In fact, in the Gospels, he put it this way. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He, he wants to support you. He, he, wants to, he, he wants to help to carry those burdens that you're carrying by yourself, but he's not going to take them from you unless you give them to him. It's been an interesting week at the, at the Williamson house. On Tuesday, uh, I, I got home, and we have three French bulldogs, and uh, our oldest one, Tybee, he's 10 years old, uh, and, and I let, uh, let him outside, and I was going to tend to the puppy, and then I heard he walked up behind me, and he's panting really, really hard, and it wasn't hot. It was actually cold, and he's like, <laughs> and I looked at him, and, and he has his back foot, his hind leg. He won't even put any weight on it at all. It's all pulled up, and he'd injured his hind leg. And so we, we take our, our uh, dogs to Hudson Highland Veterinarian uh, place there, and uh, one of the members of the church is Dr. McNamara, the veterinarian sur surgeon. And uh, so he examined, and, and he said, I, I, we, we thought he had a torn ACL. And after the examination, it's just a partial tear, so which is really great, so we don't have to have surgery on him. He's an older dog, you know, might not be a great idea. But, but, but because it's a partial tear, he said, it should heal. But here's the thing. You're going to have to carry him. He, he, he can't do stairs. He can't jump up on the couch. He, he can't do anything like that. You're going to have to carry him and keep him really calm. Now, Tybee's only 30 pounds. That's, that's not a real problem for me. It's a little challenging for my wife. But, but it's not, not a real problem. That, but here's the thing. Tybee doesn't like to be carried. And so since Tuesday, I've been reaching down to care, and I go to pick him up, and he's, and he's like looking at me, and I'm telling you, my heart has stopped about seven times this week. I, I mean, because like, and he's bitten people before. I'm the only one in the house that he has not bitten. He's bitten gas. He's, he's yeah. Tybee like to bite. And, and so we're like, oh, my goodness. And, and so we're, we're like, it's for his own good. You know, we're trying to, it's for your own good. We're carrying you, you know, because if you're going to heal, we know he's hurting you. If you're going to heal, you got to let me carry you. So let me carry you. And he's going, like that. And, and, and I wonder if we ever do that to Jesus. I, I wonder how many times we're going through something, and Jesus says, let me carry you. And we're like, 
ah, stay out of my business. You're going to steal my joy. I'm not going to do what you say. You know, get away from me, Jesus. But he's mighty God. And, and he wants to carry our burdens for us. But he's not going to take our burdens from us. We've got to give them to him. What are you carrying today that you're keeping from him? What is it he's like, will you just trust me with that? I want to support you so, 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 so that healing can come. I, I want to hold you so, so, so that you can be whole again. But so many times we're growling at him. Just leave me alone. He's mighty God. And he wants to carry us. He, he's able to save us. He's also able to support us. The third reason why he's mighty God, he's able to secure us. He's able to secure you and I. Again, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a, a young pastor. He's writing letters to a young pastor. He makes this amazing statement that I think you and I can learn a lot from in terms of how, how Jesus wants to, he's able to secure us. Look at what he says. That is why I'm suffering as I am, Paul says. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Paul the apostle said, Jesus can keep anything and everything secure that I trust him with. Anything that I put in his hands, he's able to keep secure for me. He says, I'm convinced, there's no doubt, whatever I place in his hand, those nail-scarred hands of my Savior, the mighty God, he keeps it secure. What are you holding back from Jesus today? Because he's not responsible for keeping secure something that you're keeping to yourself. We have to trust him with it. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about, your, because if he's not at the center of the marriage, he's not responsible for keeping it together. Have you trusted him with your marriage? Have you, have you put that in his hands? I'm talking about your kids. Are, are you trusting him with your children? Because as parents, we've got to come to that point where we're like, these are not my kids. They're your kids, God. You gave me these kids. You're, you're, you're wanting me to be a manager, a steward of these children, but they're your kids. And so I, I put my kids in your hands. What about your finances? Now you're meddling, Greg. Have you put Jesus at the center of your finances? Because he's not responsible to keep it secure unless you trust him with it and you put it in his hand. 
Paul said, I'm convinced and able to guard that which I've entrusted. If there's no trust, if we don't trust him with it, he's not responsible to keep it secure. But when we do, I got you. I've got it. Maybe your career. Have you, have you trusted him with your career? I, I have a friend. I've known him about 25 years. And the type of career that he has, the type of business that he's in, over 25 years, he's probably gotten laid off 11 times. And, and every single time, it's just the nature of the, the, the business that he's in. Every single time, he's just like, I just trust God. God's going to give me. He, he provided me with that job. He's going to provide me with it. And God always does. Because he, he's put his career in the hands of God. And he trusts God. And I've seen that over and over and over. And it's challenged me to trust him in every area of my life. What is it that you can have it, but not this. Uh, you stay out of my business, Jesus. Because you know what? He's not going to pry your hand open. He's like, okay. I'm not responsible for it. But Paul said, I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Why? Because he's the mighty God. He holds all things together. What is it right now? I almost feel like I could just stop the sermon right here. We could go home. What is it that God's saying today? I want you to trust me with that. Put it in my hand. I'll keep it secure. It reminds me of the old hymn of the church, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to have the calm assurance, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. He's able to save us. He's able to secure us as well. Keep it secure. Keep it safe. Everything that we entrust into his hands when we entrust it into his hands. He saves us, he supports us, he secures us. See, God can only protect what's given to him. The only thing that is truly safe is what God keeps and we allow him to keep. Here's the fourth reason why Jesus is the mighty God. He's able to strengthen us. He's able to strengthen you and strengthen me. There's a real interesting passage in 2 Corinthians. Again, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and, and, and he's talking about what was referred to as the thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that is. But, but he says because of the great revelations that, that God gave to him, and, and he gave him so many, like it's not even all written down. It was just like so much. He said, but to, to keep me humble, he allowed this to come into my life. Now, now, scholars are kind of uh, divided on what this thorn in the flesh was. S some people, some scholars believe that thorn in the flesh 
what was actually like maybe poor eyesight, almost blindness. Now, now can you imagine that for just a minute? If, if, if God's mighty man of faith and power, or Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Holy Scripture, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he walked into church, someone had to like lead him. Can you imagine how humbling that would be? Someone had to guide him. He couldn't, even, he couldn't even read because his eyesight was so bad. And when you read the epistles that he wrote, the letters to the churches, uh, he never wrote any of them himself. He dictated them to someone else. Someone else wrote them. In fact, one, one of them actually says, see, I signed this with my own hand. Because, and, and scholars believe maybe, maybe he had really poor eyesight. There are other scholars that, that, that think maybe he's talking about his wife. That's the thorn in the flesh. I'm serious. You can't make this stuff up. They think it, it might be, now, men, this is not a good time to look at your wife. That's not good. Don't do that. But, but they think it might have been his wife because to be a member of the religious elite in Judaism, he had to have been married before his, his uh, conversion to Christianity. Many scholars believe his wife divorced him when he converted to Christianity, and it broke his heart because as a Christian, he was single his whole life. And, and, and so maybe that's the thorn in the flesh. What was his wife? The third uh, kind of primary uh, understanding of the thorn in the flesh is the one that, that, the way I understand it, is there was a group that followed him around everywhere called the Judaizers. And they were really, really devout, like zealots in Judaism. And, and what they literally do is when he would go into a town and he would establish a Christian church and then leave to go somewhere else, they'd come in right behind him and like, listen, Jesus is cool, that's great, however... You have to still abide under all the Old Testament law and teachings in Leviticus. So that's, that's the Levitical dietary laws, that's the purity laws, that's circumcision, all that stuff. You're still required to keep all of that Old Testament law. That was settled actually in Acts chapter 15 with the Council of Jerusalem. Like that's not, that's not supposed to be uh, required of those uh, in Christian faith. And so I think it was the Judaizers. They'd come and they would, they would cause all kinds of problems. There was always these conflicts between Paul and the Judaizers. Look at what he says here about this. It's so key with this whole idea that we're talking about. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the, the insights that God gave to him, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. That's why some people think that's his wife. I mean, it's crazy, but that's what, that's what they say. Uh, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times. So Paul is praying now. Don't ever get upset if it feels like God doesn't answer your prayer. Because three times Paul is saying, God, please take this away. Please take it away. Please take it away. And God's like, nope. I'm not going to do it. Because I'm working something bigger into your life. Something better. And look at what it says. It goes on and says, But he said to me, this is Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, 
I'd rather be weak with the power of Jesus flowing in my life than to be strong and doing it on my own. It's huge. So, so what does that mean? What does that look like? So that means when James is going through a tough time and it feels like he can't go any further and he recognizes his weakness, God begins to pour out his grace and his strength on him. And when he keeps on going, people look at James and say, there's something different about how do you do it? And God gets the glory for it. Because when he's weak, he's actually strong. That's the mighty God working through him. See, we don't like to, we don't like to be weak, do we, as humans? We don't like to show we, we don't like to admit we're weak. And because we won't admit we're weak, we forfeit the power of Jesus in our life. Because the moment we say, I can't do this, I need you, Lord, he's like, all right, watch me now. Watch me. And three times we're like, get me out of here, get me out of here, I don't want this anymore. And he's like, no, 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 no. Greg, I'm working something strong in you. I'm working something bigger in you. I'm working something deeper in you. There's like, if I remove that from you, you're going to be really weak, that thorn in the flesh. But instead, I want to work something deep in your character, my power, so you're really strong. In this passage, it's pretty interesting. I, I see here that there's, there's like four levels of strength that God, that God gives. The, the first is like the most base, it's like the easiest. Look at this, the escape level. The escape level, that's where Paul said, he prayed that I, I want this to leave me. I just want to be finished with this. He's like, get me out of here. And, and it's like Jesus is like, no, that's not going to help you if I remove that, remove that situation, remove that conflict, re remove that challenge from you. The, the second level, as we're going deeper in our roots of faith, as we're growing in strength, is the endurance level. That's where Jesus says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My, my grace is going to get you through this, and you're going to know you didn't get through it on your own. My grace is it's going to be there. My grace is more than enough for you. The third level is the enjoyment level. When we realize his grace really is enough for us, no matter what we face, when we admit our weakness, then all of a sudden we can boast more gladly, not in ourselves, but in him. That's like, I like this being weak. This week is pretty good. It's good to feel weak. Because when I admit that I'm weak, then I'm strong, just like Paul said. Because his grace, his, his power, the mighty God shows himself in my life. Then the fourth level is the empowerment level, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I love that too, just where he says the power, is, it's not like a yo-yo up and down, you know, here's a little, take it back, here's a little, take it back. The power of God rests upon so he says, I want to walk in weakness. Because as I walk in weakness, 
power of God rests on me, and I'm really strong. That's why I said I'll even boast about my weaknesses. I can't do nothing. I can't do nothing good. Nothing. And then God shows up. Powerful. He is able to save us. He's able to support us. He's able to secure us. He's able to strengthen us. And the fifth and the final thing, he's able to stretch us. Jesus is the mighty God, and that means he's able to stretch you. He's able to stretch me. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, before I started the first service today at 9 o'clock, I put this rubber band on my, around my wrist and... Here, here's the thing about rubber bands. Rubber bands do no good if they just sit around. That's, that's, that's nothing. A rubber band only fulfills its purpose when it's being stretched. Rubber bands were designed and created to be stretched. And so were you. In fact, let me put it this way. You'll never discover the purpose God created you for until you're stretched. It's when we're stretched we discover why he made us. And, and so many times, life doesn't happen when we're comfortable. It happens when we're being stretched. But we don't like being stretched. We just want to be warm and cozy hot cocoa with marshmallows and a blanket by the fire. And that's great for getting rest. But that's not living life warm and cozy. You and I are meant to be stretched. What if right now what you're facing in life, Jesus is stretching you. He's stretching your capacity to love others who are unlovable? What if he's, he's stretching your, your, your capacity to trust in him? He, he's stretching you relationally so, so you can begin to trust and let other people in. See, we only discover our purpose when we allow God to stretch us. I remember when I was 12 years old, I used to get these growing pains in my legs. So bad. I, my dad would come in. I'd call out to him, and he, he'd come in. My dad had, he had these big old meaty hands. They're like catcher's mitts. His, his fingers looked like sausage. And he'd pour rubbing alcohol on my leg, and he'd stand by the bed, and he'd go, put your foot right there, son. i put my foot there. And then he'd grab my calf, He'd take those two big hands. He'd start squeezing that calf. He'd go, do you know what I'm doing? I was like, you're killing me, Daddy. Daddy, you're hurting me. He's like, no, boy. He goes, these are growing pains. He's like, this, this muscle right here that I'm grabbing right now, this, this muscle's stretching. He said, this is making you stronger. You're getting taller. 
you're going to be able to run faster. I know it hurts right now, but one day you're going to be thankful for this pain because this muscle is stretching right now because there's better in the future for you. I, I just wonder sometimes with what we're going through, if it's the, the hands of the Almighty God are just stretching us, like saying, trust me. Trust me. I know this hurts. It's going to be, you're going to be stronger. I know this doesn't feel good. It's going to be okay. You're going to be better. You're going to be a better you than you've been. Jesus is able to stretch us. I think he wants to stretch us this Christmas. I, I, I think the, the hands of the mighty God are right there. Like, come on, don't fight it. Don't growl. Let me in. Invite me in and watch the mighty works that I do. Let me end with this, last thought. Growth equals happiness. Growth is happiness. That the happiest people on earth are those that are growing in their faith in Christ. That, that they're growing in their relationships. That they're, they're growing in, in their, their understanding. They're, they're growing the most miserable people on the planet are those that have stopped growing, stopped being stretched. Just, just, just leave me the way that I am. That's misery. That's not growth. I think this is what God's after. I think this is what he wants to do in my life. I think this is what he probably wants to do in your life too. And he knows at the end, I know it's stretching now, but happiness will come. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the mighty God. Help us, Lord, to trust him. Lord, that whatever that is, if it's our marriage, if it's our kids, if it's our, if it's our career, if it's our finances, if it's our health, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, may we entrust it into his hands, knowing he'll keep it secure. God, for those of us that are being stretched right now, Lord, you you're so good, you're, you're not going to allow us to be stretched to the point of snapping, breaking. Lord, help us to reframe what we're going through right now from your perspective. Lord, those of us that feel weak, Lord, we, we just invite your power, your strength into our life. We confess our weakness to you, Lord. We're just asking, show up the way you promised that you had, that you would, in your strength, in your grace. You're so good. You love us so well. We're going to stop growling at you. We're, we're, we're going to let you secure us. 
keep us safe. We trust you, Lord. Support us. Right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to give anyone, everyone here an opportunity to to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord if you've never done that before. That's how you trust him. The Bible says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right now in the stillness of this moment, this isn't to impress anybody that you're sitting with. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or even raise your hand. I want to lead you in a prayer that you can repeat after me, even in a whisper. This is between you and God. And trust him today with your life. Put your life in his hands. Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. That's why he lived. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. It's because he loves you that much. Just repeat this prayer after me right now where you are. Open your heart to him. Just say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sins today. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. Jesus, I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me from this day forward. And I will follow you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior today. And I trust you with my life. I place it in your hands. Amen. And now, as is our really our custom here at Valley, I, I want to speak one of the many blessings over you that's recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. God gave these words, this particular blessing here in, in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. And he said, when these words are spoken over my people, my name is being put upon my people. If you'd like to receive this blessing, I just invite you to open your hands like you're receiving a gift from God because these words truly are a gift that I'm really honored to speak over you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and may he give you his peace. God bless you, Valley family. Merry Christmas.